Good morning to all of you. Uh, I have to say that it is a joy to have the opportunity to, to share a message um, with all of you from up here on stage. Uh, my name is Matt Anderson, and I am the Director of Student Ministries here at PPC. And if you've been joining us on Sunday mornings for this last, uh, last time, the last few months, um, you know that we, are, uh, we have been graced with a number of different uh, staff speakers and guest speakers that have been up here on stage. And so uh, it, is, it is an honor to continue that and have the opportunity to contribute to the words that were spoken and words that uh, I really believe are, are setting us down this path of what is next for our church. And so uh, I know that as Ron and as Mindy uh, have been up, I just, I just appreciate their insight into um, just this depth of knowledge of, of what we need to be focusing on. And so this morning, uh, my hope and my prayer is that I also can take part in, in, in this this morning and uh, with this word of, and in this message of, of continuing us on this path. In addition to being the youth pastor here, I'm also a husband, and I am a dad to an eight-year-old, a five-year-old, and a four-year-old. And if you would have told me last March at the start of quarantine that, hey, you need to start preparing to be a stay-at-home dad, you need to start preparing to uh, be a stay-at-home youth pastor, and you need to start uh, preparing to be a homeschool teacher, I would have laughed in your face uh, right in that moment. Uh, but the truth is, that is exactly what happened, as all of you know, uh, and this last year has been crazy. I come to you this morning from just, just this deep uh, sense, this deep chaos of this last year, and and the reality of, of what I just described is often like there's this tornado just going through our house all the time. And, and that's just the reality of, of where we're at. And so huge shout out to, to all you other parents of school age kids. Uh, I just have to say that if the highlight of your day is that moment that your sweet, beautiful children lay their heads on their pillows and close their eyes, that you don't have to, that you are not alone, and that you don't have to live in shame, and that I see you, and that I am with you in all of that. So be free uh, uh, in this morning. So with this newfound role as stay-at-home dad, virtual youth pastor, um, it's certain that I have grown uh, my pride and my skill for one thing. The truth is, like many of us probably feel overwhelmed and like a failure with a lot of things as we figure this out for the first time, but one thing I've honed my skill in, and that thing has been able to creatively entertain those I am, I'm around. At home with my kids, that's often like the cra crazy wild games, uh, getting them outside. On, on, as a virtual youth pastor, that has been uh, bringing, creating some sort of virtual game um, and bringing it to our Zoom call to, to try to, in hopes to break up some of the, the monotony of, of staring at a screen all day, right? And so with that, I'm going to continue, I would hope to continue to hone in that skill right here this morning because I have the stage and I have the opportunity. And so I'm going to bring to all of us what I think, if my records are correct, the very first ever Sunday morning uh, virtual, all church virtual game. And so let me set this up a bit. Uh, as I said, uh, so one of my kids is four. It's my son, and he's had to adapt and grow more than all of them. And as his sisters uh, have jumped onto their virtual calls, uh, he is often left to his own devices. Most mornings, including this one just a couple hours ago, uh, the first thing he says is, who is going to play with me? 
uh, and he's in this state of having to adapt to like, what do I do when everybody else is doing other things? And, uh, and so he usually uh, eventually settles in, starts pulling toys out of his toy box in his room, uh, heads outside, pulling all the toys out of um, you know, our box that we have out there. So this last month, uh, this last number of weeks or months, I've actually been going around and taking some pictures of some of his little creations to bring with you today. So the game is called Guess That Mess, and this is what you're going to do. Uh, we're going to flash up a picture on the screen of one of those creations, and, and you're going to have a few seconds to guess. So if you're by yourself, do that in your head. If you're at home with others, I invite you to make it a little competition. So who can, who can guess the right answer? So without further ado, uh, we have photo number one. Yeah, and so you got the classic, uh, you got the classic Legos. You have some of those key pieces in there. And so with this, I invite you to take a guess into, into what you see there. So talk amongst yourselves. Hopefully you've got some good answers for that. Okay, we're moving quick. Uh, photo number two. You've only got two chances to make that guess. So photo number two. Uh, this, is, this is what my yard looks like 99.9% .9 of the time. So you can feel sorry for me. It doesn't matter if I clean it up. This is what it will end up looking like. So photo number two, you got a lot of key elements going on there. Um, it's definitely the messy part of this game. So that's my son. What do you think uh, that that creation is? So we'll come back to the answers. Uh, I hope you got some good guesses in. But I do have to admit that as I was looking through these photos, I thought to myself more often than not that there's just absolutely no way that anybody's going to guess one of these right. And so uh, at the end, if you do end up guessing one right, let me know um, so that I know that there, there's greatness in, in our midst. Because I just don't think that there's any way. So before all you competitive people are angry, before you're angry that uh, I made you play a game that was impossible to win at, my ask of you this morning is don't, don't let it go yet. Uh, you see, even though this game was impossible, my hope is that it becomes a tool in our toolbox of how we grow in our ability to love people and communities and neighborhoods and cities to life, relational, relevant, and bold. Um, this game was rigged because there's absolutely no way for you to know what one of those creations was if you didn't already know my son. Let me say this in another way. There is no way to fully know the purpose of creation, of a creation, if you don't know the creator. So over this last year, I've absolutely had uh, the opportunity to spend so much time with my son. I see him move from one interest to another. I watch how he takes materials, as you see in the photo, and puts them together in creative ways. And, 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 I, and I've spent that time with him, immersed with him. And so, of course, I have the relationship with my son where I can walk into his room and look at the Lego table and see those pieces lined up there the way that they were and say, what an amazing toaster and bread that you just made. Of course, you uh, put the bread in there and you're toasting it because you love to play a restaurant and you love to, to serve other people. And equally, uh, I can walk outside to my messy yard, sometimes in a lot of frustration, and say, wow, and, and look at those elements with that water table, that piece of wood, uh, that wooden bench hanging off the back, and say, what an amazing boat that you created. Take me for a ride on, your, on, your on this boat you created, uh, because I know that my son has worked with me on my own boat, and, and this is what he absolutely 
uh, loves to do. There was just no way for you to know unless you were immersed in my four-year-old son's world. Let's turn to our scripture this morning. So I invite you to follow along. Uh, we're actually gonna we're gonna get into uh, exegeting this text. We're gonna get into some things that I hope that you can kind of stick with us in scripture. So this morning we are in Mark 12, 28 through 34. Mark 12, 28 through 34. And it says this. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, Jesus, ans- Jesus uh, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and that there is no other but God. To love God with all of your heart and with all of your understanding and with all of your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. So to set the scene for us this morning and to fully understand this interaction, this is my hope. I hope that together we can pull back some layers of culture and context and experience in hopes of seeing what Jesus did in this moment through a brand new lens. And so we're going to jump in. Layer number one, uh, I'm calling my people. We're in this section of the book of Mark. And if you read the chapters before and after, uh, you realize that there's something unique happening in this part of Jesus's life. It's this pivotal moment in his overall story. And that is uh, these moments of Jesus being questioned by the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. He's He's trying to be trapped in his words as we know the story goes. And, and one of the, I don't know about you, but whenever I've, I've read and heard these interactions over the years, uh, I, I always imagine the scene kind of going like this. I imagine these, these teachers of the law and these Pharisees like kind of laying and waiting in the shadows and, and like hiding behind a tree on a road. Uh, and so then the scene plays out and here comes Jesus walking down the road and like, look, 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 here he comes. And as he gets closer, they jump out like, ha! And they asked Jesus, like, Jesus, what's the most important commandment? Uh, why should we pay taxes to Caesar, right? And they're trying to trap him and attack him uh, in, in this situation. And with that in mind, I know for me, maybe it's just me, uh, I know that I immediately have the, I mean, what I immediately do in my head is separate these two people into groups. Uh, I separate Jesus over here and the teachers of the law and the Pharisees and the Sadducees over here. And it's, this, it's kind of this picture that is painted of, of, of them just being so distant and so far apart. And then you get to the part of scripture where Jesus rebukes them, right? And it just feels so good because I know that I'm in Jesus's camp. I know that those are those people over there. Jesus rebuked them and that is them and it's, and it's not me. Uh, but as I've been studying and researching the scripture, I came, came across something that challenged this view. 
And so stick with me. We're going to get into some of the uh, cultural layers. This is the part where I would probably tune out if I was listening in. So don't do it. Stick with me as we get into some of the details. Uh, it's safe to say we know for a fact Jesus was Jewish. He grew up immersed in Jewish culture. Uh, and although the Bible leaves out details of his childhood, we can look at other cultural sources about Jewish life for young boys, and we can overlay them on top of Jesus' story. Uh, and we were able to connect the dots a little bit more. And so uh, we do have information about what the traditional education system was like for those days for Jewish kids. And so it was common for Jewish boys to start a three-part education system around five or six. So first, Bet Sefer was the name of it, and this was from about the age of five to ten, and there was this focus on reading, writing, and memorization of the Torah. Uh, the second one from about the age of ten to twelve, uh, it's called Bet Talmud, the second stage of the educational system. And there's a study of the oral interpretations of the Torah and the rest of the Jewish scripture. And then lastly, or not lastly, but the third, is Bet Midrash. And this is this focus on taking the Torah and the oral traditions, which were these, uh, just the, these ways that things were passed down from generation to generation, incredibly important. They would take both of those and apply them to everyday life. And a lot of scholars point out that, um, that after that time, there was even this other opportunity. Um, if you were like the, the elite, the top of your class, you were given the opportunity to continue on and you would take your, your education and you would continue to study and teach. And the part that I found interesting is that within this group who made it this far, um, it was not allowed for you to take one of the laws of the Torah and offer a new interpretation unless if you had already put in the work in the educational system, unless if you had gone through these stages and done the things that were a part of it. You could not, you could not give your opinion on this is what I think this is, and this is my, now this is my interpretation of, of what it says. And so we have this moment, as we peel back this first layer, of the scribe coming to Jesus and, and asking him the question of what do you think is the greatest commandment? Uh, and this, I just, I love this, and it's just, uh, in this context, we see that, um, that Jesus, and the, so for this to happen, for this asking of his opinion, we can assume that, the G, that Jesus and the scribe, at least at a minimum level, had gone through the same educational parts uh, of this system. And we can even further assume, and a lot of scholars would agree, that they continued on uh, as elites of their class. They continued on as those who got it and those who were able to then at some point offer and ask, hey, what is your opinion on this? And so with that context in mind, it, it, it doesn't immediately, it's not so easy to just say, hey, these are these separate people over here. It's not so easy for me, knowing this, to just instantly read myself into the story of Jesus's camp, right? Um, this is the, this layer that I want to peel back is that Jesus is likely talking to his own people. Um, I know that our, our 20, you know, our culture today isn't the mirror image of Jewish culture, but I think it can, we can assume that uh, at the minimum, Jesus is talking to people that maybe were from his own denomination or maybe were from his own church. And it just, and this knowledge just uh, reduces the way that we separate ourselves uh, from those people over there. 
All right, so layer number two. I'm calling this layer kingdom drama, kingdom drama. So we know that Jesus is asked this question by one of his own people. What commandments is the most important? And then Jesus answers the most important, excuse me, the most important uh, one that Jesus said is here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. So let's stop there. Uh, if you were a Jew during that time, you would be familiar with this question, and you would definitely be familiar with this answer. You would know this answer. Jesus' first response to the question of the, which commandment is most important is this perfect reciting of the creed of Judaism. And this is called the Shema. And the Shema is this declaration that our God is the only God. And in Jewish life, this had, it had three uses. So first, this, the Shema began every worship service in the synagogue, and I think it still does. Uh, two, the passages of the Shema were written down and put into these little, little leather boxes, and devout Jews would tie these leather boxes to their wrists and to their forehead as this ritual in prayer. And then third, these words would be written out and placed into little cylinders that would be attached to every door in the house. And I, and I believe this really beautiful ritual this beautiful tradition as a way to remember God every time you leave and every time you enter. And so with this first answer, Jesus went to the foundation and the roots of deep Jewish tradition. And, and as I said, I think as far as I know, these practices are done today. And Jesus pointed out and affirmed these rituals that were so near and dear to the people. And this, is, this answer would have this first part of this answer would have felt just so affirming. It's like, hey, this is what we're all about. Like, I agree. Thank you, Jesus. We are in agreement. Uh, these were the things that were, were ingrained into everything. For us, uh, for us Presbyterians, this would be like what Janine did so beautifully this morning, uh, starting off with the call to worship. We sing songs, uh, confession and absolution, and just this ritual of this is how we worship God. Uh, in other contexts, I know for me this would be um, your, your, your daily prayer on your knees before you go to bed, you're having your daily quiet time and journaling, um, all these ways you connect with God. If you are really committed to loving the God with all of your heart and your soul and your mind, this could have meant not only going to Sunday morning church, but coming back for that 6 p.m. Uh, worship service at night. I know when I was a kid, you weren't devout if you didn't go to night church, so... Um, so yeah, that was something that was just a huge part of, of our tradition. And so Jesus cuts to the core of the tradition, and Jesus, in Jesus' fashion, he couldn't leave the nice, easy answer alone. He could have just stopped there, and everyone would have been happy. Um, but my friends, Jesus was definitely not killed because he had the nice answers that made everybody feel comfortable, right? So if we keep reading, we know Jesus threw in a second. He said first, but then he threw in a second. He could have stayed with first, but he didn't. Uh, he kept going. And so after he recites the Shema, the Jewish creed, he says the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So the second commandment actually wasn't new either. Um, it was this statement that was quoted directly from Jewish law, as we had just talked about. Jesus knew all this. His education taught him this. And so he, he quoted the Shema, and then he went into Leviticus 19.8, which was the, the specific law that says this, super important. Do not seek revenge 
or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So if the first commandment was well known and the second one is this part of the religious law, then where is the kingdom drama, right, that I'm calling this? Where, where is the drama at? So others who have studied this passage in depth found that this was an extraordinary answer, these two together, because as far as we know, no one prior to Jesus had taken these two commandments and made them into one in that way. And part of the layer that we're pulling back on this story uh, is that Jesus quoted a Jewish law. This is key. He quoted this Jewish law written for Jewish people, uh, written in this, this time that was for that group of people. And if we read this original law again, let's notice this. It says, do not seek revenge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. You see, the, the drama here is that that original Jewish law, there was this understanding that, that there was this condition where it, was only, it only needed to be applied to Jewish people. Um, it didn't need to be applied to anybody who was a Gentile, any of those unclean people over there, anybody who was outside of our little group. Um, but what do we see Jesus do as he quotes this law? He leaves off the Jewish condition. He leaves off the one thing that was able to say, hey, this is just for us. Um, and he does it in a way that is controversial, and he does it in a way that nobody had ever seen before. And so after he combines these two statements into one mind-blowing teaching, uh, the teacher of the law, we see him respond, right? And we see him respond to this golden nugget. He responds in a way that gives us this picture of this golden nugget of, of Jewish religious gossip and the drama. And he says this, Well said, teacher, the man replied, You are right in saying that God is one and that there is no other but God. To love God with all of your heart and with all of your understanding, with all of your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. Okay, ready for the drama, ready for the gossip. If we re rewind this story just a little bit, we're talking about the context of the Gospel of Mark. We see that just the chapter prior, one chapter back, just a little bit before this, we have the story of Jesus' triumphant entry. Um, everybody's singing Hosanna. Everybody's praising him as he comes into the streets. And right after that, the next day, we have this story that Jesus enters into the temple at Jerusalem, and what does he do? He's flipping over tables and, draw, and, and sending everybody out, right? We have this, uh, this picture that I'm sure you've all heard of, of, of this, this crazy thing that Jesus did. And the story that we know uh, and why and what's the context of this is that those who often came to the temple were coming from far away, and they had to practice this ritual to be a part of the temple ceremony. They had to practice the traditional uh, things of being in the temple and coming to the temple from afar. And those two things that they would have need to have had would have been doves for an animal sacrifice and the coins from the temple to buy them. And we have this situation where uh, you want to buy the dove to be a part of the ritual so you need the money from the temple. And what we know is happening is that all those folks coming in from afar are being ripped off. And that they, they, as they go to buy, to, as they take their own money to get the money they need, they're being charged insane amount of prices, right? And, and we have this system that is taking advantage of those 
uh, for the gain and the wealth of those in the temple. And we have this system that was, was not correct um, happening right, right there uh, in the temple. And so we, this all leads up to this moment uh, in this scripture. If you want to look at it as I'm saying it, this is from Mark eleven seventeen. as I said the chapter before. And Jesus, after flipping over everything and knowing what's going on with this, this unjust system, he says this, it is not written that my house, excuse me, is it not written that my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. So back to the teacher's statement, he says, well, uh, well said, teacher, and of course he does, right? Of course he's like, oh, good job, Jesus. Like, I just know what happened. Like, I potentially, I just saw that myself. And we see this picture, um, we see this picture of, of what is happening in the Jewish world um, at that time. And so with this, uh, we have this understanding of what Jesus is saying about loving your neighbor as yourself, uh, being more important than all burnt offerings. Um, the teacher clearly defines this. The teacher says, loving your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings, and it's this picture into what just happened. And we can conclude that according to Jesus' uh, to the kingdom of God, and this understanding, this definition of the kingdom of, of the kingdom is what God wants, when, when what God wants to happen happens, um, with this layer being pulled back, there's some key things that have to be included in this understanding. And so one, the first one, the kingdom of God is where relationships are more important than ritual. Number two, it declares that the repetitive traditions that have been passed down from generation to generation are valid and are worthy only if they produce in it uh, if they produce loving and inclusive actions to people from all nations. And finally, uh, the kingdom of God expects that if those traditions and rituals turn into tools that take advantage of the outside of the Gentile, the excluded, the unclean, the person traveling from afar, that the system needs to be flipped over and driven away, right? And so that's the kingdom drama, layer number two, last layer uh, I'm calling it street smarts. And I ha as I've studied this passage, I was intrigued how Jesus always seemed to do this. Like his teachings were incredible. He was pulling in th pieces from all these places, just this knowledge. And there was something that I feel like I just couldn't ignore as you, as you see the whole of, of Jesus's life. And what I, uh, what I love is that it seems like Jesus has this ebb and flow constantly between two places. And those two places are the streets and the synagogue, the streets and the church. Um, throughout the Gospels, we, we see Jesus in the streets with the forgotten people of society. He touches those who shouldn't be touched. He looks at those who are always unseen. He talks to those who are always forgotten. He heals those who have been cast out of society just because they are different, right? He gives voice to the voiceless. He invites robbers and gang members and criminals to lunch. He walks alongside of all those who are suffering, and he speaks out against the systems that are causing the suffering. And then he's back in the church. He's back in the synagogue, and he's preaching, and it's this ebb and flow. And this struck me so personally because for the last 16 years, I've had the opportunity and the honor and the privilege of living in the Garnet neighborhood 
uh, and working for an organization called Solidarity that PPC closely partners with. Uh, and I have been graciously welcomed in to be in relationships with families and teens and kids who are living on the fringes and in the shadows. Um, I've seen with my own eyes the way that being seen as less than or an outsider has affected my friends and my neighbors. So for the last 16 years, I too, in a way, have been ebbing and flowing from the streets and the church, and I have to say that as a white Christian college-educated male that benefits from the society that's centered around me, that I would have never experienced the depth of God's kingdom without the gift and the honor of being trusted to sit in someone else's suffering. To sit around the table and to share a meal uh, and to be with friends that are, that are being taken advantage of, uh, it makes it difficult to be a part of a ritual that is creating that experience. Uh, the truth is, those moments of being let into those stories uh, became a way that I was taught about God in a new way. And so I can't help but to think that this is a part of what's going on here, that Jesus uh, was walking all those dangerous streets just as much as he was in church. He was sharing meals with those who were unseen and those who were victims and even those who were perpetrators. And so we peel back layer number three, and I'll take some liberties here based on my own personal experience, that maybe Jesus is also saying this. Maybe his message is is also this. All you teachers of the law, you Pharisees, my people, my fellow churchgoers, go get out in the streets. Stop trying to discern what my kingdom is like with all and only your traditions and rituals. Go and submit to the teachings and the experiences of those who have been outcast. It will teach you what God is all about. Go put in time to genuinely become friends with those who are not like you and not benefiting from a system revolved around their own experiences. So my church family, back to the little game in the beginning, there was no way for you to guess correctly what you saw in those photos because you didn't know my son. Uh, and with this analogy in mind, is this not our mission and our challenge as a community of people who are, have made a commitment to mimic God? Is this not the challenge for me personally, who has, who has, you know, Matt Anderson, who have made a commitment to mimic God? Is this not a challenge for each one of you to, to be in as you've made this commitment to mimic God? We are hopefully coming out of a global pandemic. Uh, there's race, racial and cultural unrest. Our head pastor just began retirement. And we're in this tra transitional state as we move forward into the unknown and our identity as a group of people uh, who say we want to mimic Jesus is actually formally being looked at and discussed. It's this transition time where we're saying, okay, now's the time, let's look at this closely um, in, a, in, a, in a very official way. And I can't help but to imagine that this is us staring at a picture of a creation, uh, just like in the game, that we're staring at this picture of ourselves, our community, from you know, the outside looking in? And is, do we not have, is it not the same opportunity to ask the same questions? I believe that a good question, question to start with is, how well do we know the creator? If we don't know what the creator is all about in our North American 21st century global pandemic, transitional pastor context, then we're only guessing 
at what the creation is truly intended to be. The beautiful part in all of this uh, is that we don't have to guess, uh, is that God has given us the life and the stories of Jesus like we just unpacked, the layers that we pulled back that give us this picture of, hey, this is what my kingdom is all about. This is what where God wants to happen, happens. And so from these layers we peel back, I would like to offer a few things to end with. Uh, a few things for us to wrestle with in this moment of analyzing and evaluating what Placentia Presbyterian Church is all about. <clears throat> um, I have made these I statements since I was processing this on my own, but I wonder if there's not an invitation for us to, be, to read these together as a community as we statements as well. So number one, as narratives and ideas about who we are created to be for this next season emerge, I will not automatically assume that my position is with Jesus and that everyone else with a different opinion are the teachers of the law over there. Number two, I will not let ritual tradition and the way things have always been done to ever get in the way or take the place of loving my neighbors with dignity and genuine relationship. Number three, I have to be a part of flipping over and driving out any system that is taking advantage of others in vulnerable places. Four, I need to get out in the streets, especially the forgotten and overlooked ones, and submit to the wisdom that I find there. And lastly, number five, I leave us with this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Let's pray. God, we bless you. We thank you for the person, the life of Jesus, this example that we have of how to be a community, how to be in your kingdom. We thank you for the insight of your word and how we can overlay that to our situation today uh, and understand what it is that you're all about. I pray blessings for our community as we do that in this next season and as we go forward uh, into to what is unknown and what we are figuring out. We love you and we thank you. You know, I pray. Amen.